Welcome back to another episode of Wrestling with Relegation with me, hardcopy.ie editor Brian Elliott and WWE star Damian Mackle. This was our another remarkable weekend of football for a variety of reasons, but when this season wraps up next year, it will probably be Manchester United's 3-2 win at Brighton Zamek Stadium that will be remembered most vividly, with the win actually coming after the final whistle. We'll explain all of that in a second, but first of all, Demo, how are you doing? If you'd asked me the same question two days ago, Brian, I think I would have destroyed you. Um, <laughs> out of all seriousness, I'm doing great today. But uh, straight after the game, I was losing my marbles. Uh, it's funny that you say that we'll remember this uh, at the end of the season. I really hope that we uh, that this is the game we remember because my worry is this is only the first in a series of games that uh, uh, that could well be the, uh, the definition of our season or define our season. Well, how many do you think we're going to win after the final whistle? In fairness, this is one of those ones that VAR uh, is going to get crucified for uh, and the the referee is going to get crucified for, but it wouldn't surprise me if this happens down the line Mm -hmm. multiple times. But isn't it crazy to be, you know, everybody get, you know, Varchester United and everything else uh, and uh, there's there's more fuel for the fire? (laughs) Yeah, well, this is like, this is certainly a first for the Premier League for sure. The only other time I can remember anything similar was last season in Germany, uh, but that wasn't at the end of the game. It was at half time. Uh, the players had all gone off the pitch and the referee brought back the goalkeeper and somebody else from the other team to take a penalty. I think, I think the penalty was scored. Uh, so that was obviously a really crazy visual and something we'd never seen, but I actually haven't seen one yet myself that occurred after the final whistle. Well, the funniest thing is you're saying about the, uh, bringing on the keeper and the player and um, because the whistle blew, if, if the keeper had saved the, the penalty and we'd have scored it would have been disallowed uh, because the final kick of the game is the only kick that would have counted right so, so not if, even the if, rebound not even a rebound wow. would have been allowed so it was literally a case of um, goal and that's it so all the lads standing on the edge of the box didn't need to be there um, <laughs> yeah because well, look, no it was pointless it, it literally the, the letter of the law is um, penalty only no no, re, uh, no restart so they have prepared for this eventuality mm-hmm, yeah um, it's obviously a scenario that's came up, um, which is very interesting because obviously they, they, you know, it must have been something that, that that's came about in like a, a lower level match or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, no, this is uh, something they prepared for. And if Bruno had a, had his penalty saved and then scored, it wouldn't have counted. It's actually a wonder in that case then that they didn't dispatch both teams to the dressing room. You know, in case there was uh, a flare up. I think. Going forward, that's exactly what will happen. Um, as you said, the guy in Germany actually had it 100% right um, by bringing out just the keeper and the player. You know what I mean? So that is something I could imagine down the line. Like it'll look more like a, a penalty shootout kind of <laughs> style. You know what I mean? Where everybody's in the center circle ready to fight. <laughs> yeah. Well, it really was a roller coaster of a game on Saturday. Uh, so we'll go through a few of the talking points. Uh, United started with the same team that had beaten Brighton at the Amex in June, which meant uh, Maric, Pogba and Fernandes in midfield. Mason Greenwood starting up top on the right. Uh, United started out fairly well in the opening minutes, but uh, Trossard then went on to hit the post twice within the first 20. Webster did it again 10 minutes later. Um, Demo, this ended up being a record-breaking number of times for one team to hit the woodwork, and we just were not aware enough to close Brighton down quickly. 
So the first five minutes, I actually thought, okay, we're starting pretty well here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was very critical of the lineup because I felt with the underperformance of Pogba and Lindelof that we should have brought in Baye and Van de Beek. I thought it was very strange that we were almost protecting our our poorest performing players, especially with all these comments in the midweek where he said, you know, I'm not here to to look after players' egos or whatever else. Um, So I was very surprised that he went with uh, Lindelof and Pogba. But first five minutes, it actually looked to be us who were uh, playing a little bit better. But our positional senses just went all over the place. And Mm -hmm. I think Brighton figured us out really easily doing the, the diagonal ball uh, from the right side to the left side, and it caught us out so many times. This was maybe Aaron Wan-Bissaka's worst game in United shirt. Yeah. Um, he just... And I, I can't really figure out how it was so bad, um, but he just was all over the place. Um, and this is the craziest part is... I've always felt that if, if Wambasaka is really tired, he makes a rash decision. But this was early in the game, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it just it continued the rest of the game. I don't know if he's trying to double up on the man with Lindelof and then leaving the right-hand side. And then because Greenwood is a striker, he's not maybe making the cover. But then I was thinking, no, a lot of these were in transition, you know what I mean, where he's running backwards and he's cutting in as opposed to staying close to his man. So I think that there's going to need some serious, um, you know, analysis, sit down. Yeah. yeah, serious video analysis. He's going to, have to sit down with the coaches um, because the, he was at serious. We could have conceded a lot of goals here, and like it's not 100 percent on his shoulders. Um, but there was definitely a few times in the second half, especially when he was getting tired, and Sully Marsh could have scored so many times. Yeah. Like, it I, was oh, five I, times they had the woodwork, as yeah. you said, it's a record. Um, and Bruno Fernandes is very cheeky after the game. He said, well, you know, the, the goal of the <laughs> game is to put, put the balls in the back of the net. And they didn't. Um, but I was, at the same time, I was like, well, you know, if, if they'd have scored the seven goals, what would that have meant for mm-hmm. United? You know what I mean? So, and a lot of it came down to their own mistakes. Like, I thought Brighton played very well. That, that, when they changed the, the turn of the tide after five, six minutes, I think maybe six, seven minutes, mm-hmm. they started to look really good. Trossard just, we know that he's got this great shot from outside the box and he kept getting chances and it was it was starting to frustrate me and this is where I was I was worried maybe we should have went with Manage McTominay or something you know because their industry would have been better for this but at the same time I was thinking no you know what like I think we were just being really lazy and it was it was quite frustrating to watch because it just wasn't improving, uh, mm-hmm. and we just continually were getting punished. Yeah. Well, for all that said, on 33 minutes, it was United who had the ball in the back of the net. Uh, Mason Greenwood prodded it home from less than 10 yards. Um, this would have actually been a really nice goal had Rashford not been offside uh, making the assist. He was just so far offside as well. Like This is one of those weird ones. You expect somebody who's slow um, to try and get the advantage this way, not somebody who's like a – Rashford's an Olympic – a sprinter level uh, athlete um so it was really strange how he uh he was so offside and uh, unnecessarily so and i remember like uh, i read uh, in the the after uh of the of the game ollie says he actually had a go at rashford mm-hmm. <laughs> at half time and i could see why um he was just a little playing a little bit um within himself this last few months um but maybe, maybe uh, over eager i think you're right you know it could just be that like but Greenwood took it really well. <laughs> so I was he did, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, if you notice, this is something that isn't too often brought up, but Greenwood does this all the time. He takes a touch with one foot and strikes it with the other. 
It's a really, it's a simple sounding piece of skill, especially for a professional footballer, but very, very few players do it. And it's a real, uh, it's a real string to his bow. I can't think of many players who do Like, honestly, off the top of my head, Ronaldinho is one of the only ones mm-hmm. I can really think of who did it that seamlessly. So, like, you know, that's, that is a crazy talent that he has. It really is. It really is. Um, okay, so on 39 minutes, uh, then uh, things got back to looking bad. Fernandez was chasing the ball back uh, against Brighton's lightning-quick fullback Tarek Lamptey. Lamptey got there first, and he made then sure to run across Fernandez enough to be taken down. Demo Lamptey won the race here, and even though he was looking for the penalty, there's no denying that it was. Absolutely. Um, Bruno he, he is lightning. You know what I mean? So... Yeah, he is. He's actually a hell of a talent. I'm sure he's going to bite Chelsea in the arse this one because uh, with the struggles that they're going to have um, at the back, <laughs> for example. But uh, great purchase for him. He, he actually tore us apart in his debut last uh, last season. Um, he was kind of their only shining light in the game where, where we, I think we beat them 3-0, I think it was. It was, yeah. Uh, and, he, and he looked great, actually. Um, so fair play to him. We had no answer for him. And I wonder if... Down the line, he can end up maybe being slightly more forward. He could be a very good, you know, if they played like wing backs, mm-hmm. uh, more regularly three at the back with with two wing backs. Well, the obvious um, thing is he, he's, really he's lacking. Him. The obvious thing is he's lacking in a lot of height. If he's five five, he's lucky. But he could be lightning. Um, you know, you think of Hector Bellerin and all these kind of lads. Um, he's he's if he can get consistency, he could be actually a brilliant. Uh, right back for England down the line, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, how depend how things work out with um, Trent Alexander Arnold and, and Juan Bissaka, but he could give you a really good option. Um, but yeah, no, he, he won the penalty. Like, was there a lot of contact? No, but was there enough? Yes. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, Neil Mope took the penalty and uh, scored with an outrageous Panenka. And uh, I want to bring up as well that he did a little dry your eyes motion to the camera thereafter. And uh, that would come up, uh, come back to haunt him in a little over an hour. Uh, United did at least make it level before halftime. Uh, Fernandez dipped a free kick in low and flat. Maddich prodded it back at the far post and a combination of Maguire and Lewis Dunk put it over the line. Um, the commentary didn't really seem to make that much of the assist, but I thought that was an incredible strike of the ball by Bruno. Uh, great, great. Uh, I think everybody was focusing more on, on Manich's wonderful touch back. Mm-hmm. I think that's why. But that that free kick from Bruno was exactly why we bought him because he does have this great vision he, and the delivery to put it like past the keeper, um, but not low enough that the keeper can try to get his mm-hmm. hands on it. So, yeah, very good, uh, very good ball, re- really good vision. And then I'm just delighted that somebody was there to prod it in. I think it should be Harry's goal because he puts the forward motion into it. But mm-hmm. you know the dubious goals panel is one of the most bizarre <laughs> parts of of the sport at the minute. But um, no matter, we were level uh, and we kind of didn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. Well, within a couple of minutes of the second half uh, starting, the referee had awarded a penalty to Brighton. It was a foul by Pogba on Aaron Connolly. Pogba had, had appeared to barge him in the back, but actually the replay showed that Connolly kind of threw himself into the air under almost no contact. So the referee did go and check it at the sideline and no penalty given. Yeah, this was like I, I know that uh, Jose tries to compare this one to the Eric Dyer Pogba last season, where Eric Dyer put both hands on Pogba and shoved him over. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you watch this back in in slow mo, there's no touching. So uh, he got wrong sides, Pogba. So on when, when it first happened, I was losing my mind. I was like, "What? A, you know, this is terrible." Uh, but Connolly actually, yeah, 
expected contact didn't come, threw himself to the ground, and they didn't get the pen. So, uh, for the this is the first time of the season for us uh, until later um, that uh, <laughs> VR worked in our favour and. Yeah. Um, this was a good example that somebody overruled the referee because with Lamptey, Lamptey got caught and you saw it in the, the Man City-Brighton game. Um, you know, there were some very like light touches that became penalties, but there was at least touches in this this example with Connolly. Uh, as much as I want Aaron Connolly to become a, you know, a good player, you know, he's, he's, he's got a... <sighs> You know, he's got good good balls, good heart, everything else. Um, but he's going to have to wait till the contact comes before <laughs> he can get away with this one in future. Yeah. Uh, you then had another lovely goal ruled out on 52 minutes. Rashford tucked the ball away from what was pretty much a square pass from Mason Greenwood. But Rashford had just got slightly ahead of the ball and caused it to be ruled offside. Demo, it was a lovely finish. But when you actually look back on it with the way uh, Rashford got himself ahead of the ball, it's actually really quite poor play. Uh, it, it is it, really that, it, it is bad play he got ahead he got ahead of pretty much a square pass he had yeah. to have known I think like as you say it's over eager um, and at this point like we're all cursing his name because we're so desperate for Marcus to be the, you know, the superstar we think he can be mm-hmm. um, and it, it's difficult because like you know that it's he had this serious injury two fractures of the spine mm-hmm. as a professional wrestler I understand the the importance of that, yeah. you know what I mean? So, uh, two stress fractures, you know. So, so fair play to him that he got himself fit again, but he has been poor since he's came back. And there's there was only two games in Project Restart where he really, like, uh, showed himself to, to deserve his place in the team. So, at this point, you're thinking, oh, my God, not again. But as you say, he was over-eager, and I, I at least felt the energy from Marcus yeah. uh, against Brighton. Like, when he came off the, off the bench uh, midweek against Luton, you know, there looked to be a real energy there mm-hmm. um, and like a point to prove. And I felt after half time he was definitely, you know, th- there was something there. He was There was a fire in his belly. Yeah, I think uh, I made a point in our group chat to say or to complain about what happened there. But then three minutes later, Rashford did make up for his error, sprinting down the line on the far side before cutting infield, uh, twice turning Ben White inside out and striking the ball home with his left foot. And that was definitely much more like the Marcus Rashford we know and Manchester United are going to need. Absolutely. I mean, the, the goal itself was... What a pass from Bruno. I, I, yeah, like, but my worry was, is he overplaying this? You know what I mean? Yes, of course. Because he, he definitely has the composure, and I think that's great. But I was just thinking, if I was one of the defenders, the amount of time you've got as a midfielder or defender to run back and maybe neck the ball off mm-hmm. him. Um, but no, what he did was wonderful. Um, and he put it onto his weaker foot, whipped it across and scored. A uh, little deflection off dunk as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the two Brighton defenders opted to go on. Uh, uh, ben White did try and close him down to some degree. He got sat yeah. down twice. I think there was two other defenders who actually uh, opted to go back onto the line instead, instead of closing him down. And there was the goalkeeper there too. So you could argue about that, but... We'll not worry too much since it went into the back of the net. Absolutely. Listen, again, it felt slightly unearned, <laughs> um, but it was so important. And this is where we're at our best. And, it, and it's something that's been frustrating me, that, you know, especially in the last couple of games. I said to you guys on the, the group chat, I was like, Pogba actually tried a couple of balls over the top in the first half in the first 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time there'd been any uh, in the last couple of games. So, um with Bruno finally, you know, making that pass and Rashford being able to run onto it, it's like I feel that we are, are struggling when we don't have those counter attack moments, and that is a slight worry 
that we can't always rely on the counter attack. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We need to start getting better at figuring out movement um, when we're on the ball, when we've got possession. Yeah. But listen, like the ball went in the back of the net. Marcus has shown great composure. That's two goals in two games for him. Let's hope he can really get going because we need him. Yeah, <laughs> we need well, him to. Uh, you know, Brighton will be kicking themselves because they will know that we are largely a counter attack team, and yet they did get badly counter attacked there. Absolutely. Um, you know, Brighton have a really good defence, but they are slow. And I was amazed that we weren't able to take advantage of that a bit more, especially Lewis Dunk is not a fast player at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad we, we managed to get there. We managed to get the goal. It was important. Um, and at this point, you're thinking, OK, we're 2-1 up. We don't deserve it. <laughs> um, but hopefully we can close out the game. Yeah. Well, still the game wasn't over and uh, Brighton still hadn't hit the woodwork enough, apparently. Solly March and then Trossard again hit the post and bar. That was five times in total during the game. And then on 95 minutes, the ball was crossed uh, deep for March, who had been left to his own devices by Fernandez at the back post. Uh, he headed the ball in, hands were on heads, Demo, and uh, it looked like we'd thrown this one away again. And it was exactly how we expected the ball from, from right to left. And he's standing there, nobody marking him. What, like, I, I could not, like, I, I guess Bruno was maybe meant to be the cover and run here because he completely misses this yeah. one. Um, and it was poor. It was just so poor. And I felt like it was, they were getting so much luck exact same way so many times and we didn't learn from it and that is a massive worry going forward mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to see it are we going to see guys doing the exact same thing in the next game the next game the next game we're playing Brighton again uh, on Wednesday so you know they, they already have the, the the key to get goals against us mm-hmm. um, so are we going to learn from these mistakes you know there's there's this I, I feel right now this is where Ollie's coaching is going to come in to uh, we're going to have to come into play because th- this is some serious errors that are happening. Um, and yeah. fitness, you, you can put, you can say fitness so many times, uh, but the basics, you said it after the first game, it's the basics that are being missing here, not just fitness. Yeah, we, we've talked before about how Solskjaer has done very well against the big teams, including tactically, but sometimes you feel that against these weaker teams, or so-called weaker teams, because we struggle against them, that um, the same... Sort of element of tactics or the same nice that you need to beat these teams is not there. Absolutely. Like, and I think, you know, it was actually Ashton said in our, our group chat, it's like the fear factor is gone. So everybody just presses us and waits for us to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, if they would have backed off, um, slightly more, you know, where their belief is slightly waning, which, mm-hmm. which did happen during our two, our two mad runs under Solskjaer, um, you know, teams automatically thought they were going to get beat. Um, teams now, you know, come to Old Trafford thinking they're going to beat us, <laughs> um, which is a, a thing that we, we need to get back. And mm-hmm. it, it comes down to, you know, simple, simple play. Um, you know, good defending, smart decisions. Um, if we're going to make risky passes uh, or, or risky, you know, transitions or whatever, you have to run back, you know, mm-hmm. and, and cover for yourself because, you know, you have to make up for your own mistakes. I think Bruno is pretty good for that if he miss, miss, makes a mistake. Yeah. He immediately tries to run back, but it's it's not a Pogba trait, you know what I mean? Um, And, like, what, what I will say, though, is, like, I know that a lot of people are, are hoping for a replacement for Matic, but this, this team is going to be so poor without Matic because I felt he was the only one who had some sort of semblance of of what he was doing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like a lot of the, the, the positional play he, he had was great, but 
I, I just feel like um, a lot of the other ones were all over the place. Um, we, we've got to solve the problem of one long straight through ball getting uh, causing us to be one-on-one with, say, Maguire and their, and their forward or Lindelof and their forward. It's like it completely bypasses our midfield, you know, one 25-yard pass along the ground into feet. You know, it just completely knocks us off. And uh, we've got to find a way. I actually brought it up again in the group chat with uh, reg- with regards to the Everton game um, this past weekend and how their new signing, Allen from Napoli, was just sort of hung around and, and was right in front of the back four. He was playing kind of with the two centre halves, very rarely uh, wandering anywhere else or trying to influence the game anywhere else. And that meant, you, you could call that a, a sacrificing of a player, but what it did mean was that Anytime that there was a counter-attack on or a slightly longer ball was played, anything over 15 yards, that he was there as the first line of uh, of defense before the people even got towards the center halves. Our center halves are being attacked with just one simple pass, and it's really something we've got to look at. Uh, right now, could you imagine if you're the, the tactical coach just watching our play and thinking, oh, this is going to be really easy. we just do this, we'll just do this, we'll just do this. Um and like so, for example, we're coming up against uh, against Jose shortly, right? And I fully believe that this is exactly what he's going to take advantage of. You know what I mean? Because it's it's an obvious error um, that that is continually being exploited. You called it at the start of the game. Uh, they had one scare, and you were like one pass, and they're through. Mm-hmm. And, and then it, it kept happening. So it, it's. If it's easy for us to say, I'm sure it's going to be very easy for our opposition managers. Well, it just depends on how we're going to deal with it then because Matic does make a big difference to us, uh, but he is still he still gets a little bit more further forward and involved in play uh, than, say, Allen does or, or other uh, te- when other teams are defending like that. So it's a tactical thing we're going to have to like, take a look at as well. Let's just finish talking about the game, though, because incredibly there was this one last chance. Uh, Van der Beek could come on. Uh, he won a corner with Fernandez crossing it in for Maguire. Matt Maguire actually got a good connection on this one, uh, but it was blocked by the outstretched arm of Mopé. In the meantime, the referee had already blown for the final whistle, but he was actually able to award the penalty and after 100 minutes of play, Bruno struck the penalty high to the keeper's left. Uh, Demo, this has seemed to be a really horribly disappointing performance again and result, of course, but United did at least come up away with the three points. Absolutely. like I, I was ripping because I felt we didn't even deserve a draw, let alone win. Um, if, if I go to my, my trusty stats and, and we have a look at how we actually did. We had seven shots, three on goal. Um, they had 18 shots, five on goal. However, five of the off-target shots hit the bar or mm-hmm. post. So technically, you're talking about 10 shots you know, on target. You know what I mean? I, I hate that they say that uh, a post isn't on target, but I understand why. Um, that was our only corner. You'll be telling me about like. XG next? Oh, great. No, I'm still not at that point. That is... Uh, <laughs> That, that, that is uh, that is for the real statos. Um, but, you know, listen, that was our only corner of the game. And for us to actually get a positive yeah. header out of it was good. Um, we uh, they, they dominated us top to bottom. And that was a very bit of uh, crazy luck that Mopé had his arm in an unnatural position. And, like, I, I hate this because um, we saw it uh, in the Palace game. We saw it for Palace's oh, other game where they ended up losing. Um, that Palace one was uh, appalling. The Spurs Newcastle game, like there's just so many examples of this where there's no real advantage, 
You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I guess Mopey's one is a little bit crazier because it does affect the flight of the ball going towards right. the goal. Mm-hmm. Whereas Andy Carroll's one with um, with Dyer, he was on the edge of the box. So it wasn't like, it wasn't a shot on goal. Right. You know what I mean? So I was very confused. But like, Dyer had a warning right before then. Um where they had a check right before then where you know he had turned his back mm-hmm. and his arm is down by his side. This time he turned his back and his arm was up and I'm like, yeah. oh, it's kind of your own fault. Yeah. Um, but well, like, you know, the the rule can be interpreted in, in a bunch of ways. But I really felt Roy Hodgson, um, what he said, he was like, why have we allowed this to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, because it it's so unnecessary. And I do agree. Like, I feel it's common sense to know, okay, he's kicked the ball at the hand. Like the one... Uh, the one at uh, Palace was, you know, the, yeah, the striker we, flicks it up, mm-hmm. and v- Victor can't. Victor's no. running. It's not like he's. I don't think his arm is in a way that's um, out of yeah. uh, out of normality. You know yeah. what I mean? It, it, it was so, in a, it was in a natural position, given that he was running back. Yeah, I, I didn't feel like it was in an unnatural position. It was like Baye's one last year that oh. really bothered me, like really bothered because I didn't feel it was a handball, mm-hmm. um, and and I still don't believe it was in the box. Like yeah. I, I looked at it and I was like, they didn't even get the projectors out. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> one of the things, uh, sorry, one of the things um, with handball is in recent times they have taken the word intentional or accidental out of the uh, out of the rule book. So it's a it's designed to make it all uniform. It's designed to take interpretation out of the whole thing and frankly to take common sense out of the whole thing, which is kind of actually ironically where we've ended up at now. So I think one thing, the dire one especially shows this. We have to account for the idea that something is intentional or unintentional. However, the the Eric Dyer one, if I was marking Andy, if I was Eric Dyer and I was marking Andy Carroll, obviously Carroll, very, very, very difficult to stop in the air. What I would think to myself was, right, I actually have a, a low chance of being able to beat Carol 1v1 in the air for this. What I'm going to do is jump right beside him and stick my arms out as far as I can and turn my back. Because then what you would do, you could, uh, you could justifiably turn around and say, Oh, well, I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't see it. I didn't know it was coming. But of course, we know that's intentional. We know someone doing that, sticking their arms out like that. There's only one way it can be. It's they're, they're intending to block it and intending to say that they didn't mean it. So we, what we have to get back to is uh, having the rule that uh, that takes intent into consideration, but being smart enough to know when someone has intentionally done it or not. The Crystal Palace, was it Joel Ward at Crystal Palace? I think so, yeah. And he, the guy had his arms like at his sides. His hands were near his hips. Yeah, it, it was. They were down. They it were was down. incredible. I couldn't believe that one. That's the worst one I've seen. The the so worst. Here, here's here's the problem for me. Where's the consistency? What about Gabe, Gabriel at Arsenal last week? Mm-hmm, yeah. Now that was that was worse than any of the ones we've talked about, and it was fine. And then what about Kai Havertz controlling the ball with his arm, mm-hmm. and then for, for Chelsea to get the equaliser at West Brom? Yeah. So. For me, there's no consistency. Right. There ha- like if there if there's and that consistency, is the, that, that is the aim of taking hands up. Yeah. When they bring when they bring out the projectors for the offsides, there's nothing we can do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it's it's it, it it's the the letter of the law, and they've done their best to 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 be, be as even and as, as as whatever as possible. When it becomes an interpretation of a rule, that's what really pisses me off because they're trying to say that Havertz is one wasn't a handball mm-hmm. because 
the, the West Brom lad touched, tried to clear it, and then they got it straight back. Now, the law says if they handball and then they score immediately from it, that it's a handball. But they said it wasn't a handball because the guy technically tried to clear it and then they got it back and scored. Mm-hmm. But it was all within two two touches, one touch away and then one touch back in. So I don't know how that doesn't count. Whereas mm-hmm. the Gabriel one is still one really pisses me off because it was the same day as us with with uh, with Victor. Um, unintentional, yes, but his arm is in just as unnatural a position as Victor's was. So this is where you said about you know unintentional, intentional, and everything else. This is being interpreted, and that is the problem. There should be no interpretations. It should be all across the park, boom, handball, or it should be. Um, like it used to be, where it was, is it intentional or not? Um, because right now, they're making a pig's arse of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was frustrated because, uh, I, so I, I'm very lucky this week, uh, I got to watch pretty much all the games. Yeah. Um, but it was one of those scenarios where, with West Brom, for example, at Chelsea, um, a handball cost West Brom the three points um, for uh, Crystal Palace. Um, it it, it Worked in their favour last week and then worked against them this week. You know what I mean? And, it, and it's but Roy Hodgson was actually clear. He's been really consistent. He said, "I've always voted against this. I didn't like it last week and I don't like it this week." You know what I mean? And I actually really felt for Roy because he's been in the game so long. Um, he's seen everything, uh, and I actually think he's right. We, we, we've we've really let this creep in, um, and it's become a very <sighs> stupid problem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and now people are trying to say, "Oh, but it, you know." It, brings more goals to the game oh. well right now we don't need more goals no it has, it has to be but, has to be good goals you know but 20 penalties in 25 games so like that, that is insane mm-hmm. you know what I mean like that that is that is at a level way over the top um like and listen I, I watched the Man City Leicester game um you could I, I don't feel any of the the penalties were subjective but they were very weak you know what I mean? Um, just like the Lamptey one or whatever else. Um, but, you know, if there's contact in the box, it's a penalty. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it, it is one of those things yeah. that you I, can't really uh, debate against. Yeah. With the handballs, for some reason, you're able to debate that, that it's not a handball mm-hmm. or it is a handball. And that is a problem. Yeah. I, I quite like the phrase unnaturally bigger. So sort of making your body unnaturally bigger, you know, by sticking your arms out. I get that. It's, I actually quite like that turn of phrase, as I said. It's when the referees don't know what natural and unnatural is. That is the problem. What, what was the one where the guy was pushing his, his, his own teammate over and the attacking player flicked the ball up to his arm? So that was, that was this weekend as well. So okay. that, that one blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Was that, yeah. It, but it, so I, the, that one blatantly isn't a, isn't a, a penalty. You know, it isn't a handball because he's pushing his teammate away and the guy flicks up the ball to his hand. This is exactly what they said was going to happen. Mm-hmm. People, you know, if you get smart enough, you can you can use this to your advantage. Yeah, we said that. You know what I mean, we said that on the podcast possibly last week that um, well, where, where we don't want to get to is where attackers can flick the ball up on purpose to hit a defender's hand, even though the hands and are... it's already happened. It's it has, happened. I know it has. Within a few days. Mm-hmm. Within a few days. So so this is this is my, my, my worry. So are we going to get taught... Are we going to, instead of teaching attackers uh, how to beat players, you're going to say, right, listen, this is how you flick the ball up. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, like, 
Oh, we're just going to start buying defenders with no arms. <laughs> yeah. No, but I'm, I'm serious. It's I know what like, you're saying. It's like, at what point does this get ridiculous? So, mm-hmm. um, I know nothing will change this season, uh, because iFab's useless, but you know, th- there's going to have to be something because well, this is embarrassing. Gar- Gary Neville was on yesterday saying that he believes that the rule will have to change or the interpretation thereof will have to change in the next few weeks. I don't even see how you can do that because then it's unfair to the teams that have already played. You have yeah, to. It can't. It can't change until next season. So it's the same as you know the, the refs now run and, and check out the monitors, which is thankfully a massive step forward, mm-hmm. and it takes the the it puts the pressure back on the referee, which in my opinion it always should have been. I, I never liked it that you know the the choice was in the hands of somebody in you know sitting in a booth drinking a cup of tea mm-hmm. um, the last choice should be with the referee and I, and I like that we've really made the effort to fix that but that only got fi- we knew that was a problem from week one and it took us until the end of the season before it changed so I think it'll be the same for the handball rule um, with, with Palace it's already evened out with us it's already evened out so again it's one of those things where it, it's going to be even I by don't the end know. of the season I don't like I, I don't want to get into this it evens out again the, the Mopay one was very clearly a penalty. He, he obstructed the ball going toward, uh, towards the net. Lindelof didn't do nothing in the Palace game. You know, so one was justified and one was totally unjustified. No matter what rule you want to think, uh, uh, no matter what the wording is of the rule. So I don't like, I don't like when we talk about it, uh, counseling each other, right? It's apples and oranges we're discussing here. I guess, but like the, I, you know, I said it last year, but the VAR decisions, they pretty much even out. <laughs> across across the season because like nobody like we were Varchester for a while and then you get all these things against you you know it was Liverpool and then they had a few things against them so you know you, you wonder you wonder what really is the it, there's no real benefit you know what I mean like it, it's frustrating to watch at times I'm sure for it's a lower just, level club it's just stuff that happens be a killer. it's just stuff that happens and you have to hope it goes in your favour that's, that's really the be all and end all of it but for us, for us, it isn't. It isn't our our problem. Is that our boys have switched off right. mentally, and they need to to turn it around asap. Yes. Because if we if we we are very lucky, you know, Chelsea drop points and, and everything else. Um, City dropping points is is amazing, but City isn't really our competition at the minute. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, but but at the same time, we need to get ourselves going. We need to get firing because if there are no new transfers coming. Um, then this is our team for the season. This is what we've got. This is the this is uh, our group, um, and they were good enough to go on runs, but they need to be consistent across the board. And right now we're so inconsistent um, that it's hard to tell from day to day, you know, who's going to be the problem this week. Mm-hmm. Well, we certainly didn't look like we were on the front foot, and after the game, Bruno did say that. Uh, pretty much about uh, how aggressive or how lacking in aggression we were. I mean, how much are we thinking this is going? Is this just sort of down to match practice, or you know, perhaps even the players still being tired, or or what have you? Uh, and how much is it, is it down to tactics? Do, do you think we're still lacking in match practice? Absolutely. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, I think the craziest part is if you watch all the games, which which I, as I said, I had, had the, the kind of benefit of, and um, it. Everybody feels like they're slightly off at the minute. Like it still feels like preseason almost, but we're the furthest behind. Um, we we you know we had a short break and then only had one preseason game. These all feel like preseason games right now. Mm, um, yeah. We're making incredibly stupid errors. The way Lindelof played against Palace and the way uh, Wambasaka played against Brighton, um, they feel like lads who've who've just came back in the first game. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. which. 
I, I guess technically it is. Um, and maybe, except- maybe we put so much emphasis on getting the players physically fit that we haven't done enough drill work. Maybe I, I don't know. Um, you know, you just wonder how in this this day and age that they can't be at you know professional level uh, pretty quickly. I imagine they don't lose their fitness in two weeks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, but then towards the end of the season, they were all in awful shape. So obviously, we we <clears throat> overworked them um, throughout the season, which happened the year before, and that is something a bigger squad might fix, I guess. Um, but I think we're at the point where we need to start making serious decisions. Um, like, for example, Pogba uh, was a little bit better against Brighton, um, but he, he was all over the place defensively. Um, so you wonder, like, should we have held off on Pogba? In my opinion, yes. I think we should have went with Donny van der Beek because mm-hmm. um, he's, he's the only one who's had a full preseason yeah. and he's fit. Can I, can I, I think- say about Pogba because I've got a good stat here? Um, yeah, know, please. Obviously, the Pogba fitness has been a concern Especially since he's, you know, recently had coronavirus. He had, he had 65 minutes on the pitch. He only passed the ball 34 times and only with a 74% accuracy. So he was barely on the ball. Um, Fred came on, Fred came on and passed the ball 90 times. Wow. And and listen, those two lads are apples and oranges when it comes to style of play and everything else. Yes. Mm. Um, but that That just tells me Papa wasn't in the game. No, he wasn't at all. And you know what? Like, listen, I know there's a lot of haters, uh, Pogba haters. The media's done a hell of a job to turn United fans against Pogba. Um, but in, in my opinion, this one's on the manager. I don't think he's ready. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he's, I think he's, the truth is he had coronavirus and he is at least three weeks behind everybody else in terms of fitness or worse because listen, we don't know the long term effect of coronavirus. As mm-hmm. I said last week, we don't like it's going to affect athletes differently because it's got a much lower body fat percentage. You know what I mean? Um, Get him so, a few sticks. But no, the hope is that he's going to be okay and he's going to recover fast. But right now he is so far off the pace that I- I'm worried that yeah. we're just trying to appease his ego and we're trying to get him to resign when we should be thinking of what's best for the team. Yeah, I think this is the big thing, not just for Pogba, but with other players. It is absolutely essential that we have the knowledge of who needs the games, who needs a rest. And if that is not accurate and we're playing players when they're tired, just hoping to get them through, that's going to be, that's going to end up a big mistake in terms of injuries, in terms of results, in terms of everything. So I really, really hope that the intel we have on these players is accurate. Listen, Pogba is an outstanding athlete, and, and I get it. They, they just assume when he comes back from injury, he's he's generally normally fit. This is a different scenario, mm-hmm. um, and obviously his confidence is shot anyway because he, you know he's barely been playing and whatever else. Um, but there, there's nothing saying he could miss a game. You know what I mean? Like, and this is the thing that's kind of annoying me. I hope that against Brighton in the League Cup, he's not playing. Um, the, uh, that, so that can another, that, that another speaks, week's training. That kind of speaks to my point. It's like, uh, yes, we we are thinking that he's not fit because he's been ill, etc. But if it is the case that he is lacking fitness, then maybe he should play. But well, if he, so, in my my opinion, is slightly different than yours. I think he should miss this game entirely mm-hmm. um, and should just be doing general training, but right. at a high intensity okay. so that he can have re- mo- like high intensity, then rest and recovery. Whereas mm-hmm. bringing him to the game, you know, you know, I, I think it's, it's completely pointless across the board. I think he just needs time. You know what I mean? Because as I said to you, the whole, the whole thing about this disease is we don't know the full ins and outs of it. Um, we're, we're fully expecting 
Premier League level players to make, make full recoveries. Um, but listen, they all wear heart monitors now because, you know, guys died of heart attacks. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, full, like athletes died. Like, so they all wear heart monitors now. Like, like things have changed. You know, you, you, what you expect to happen to a player is different than what it was 20 years ago, you know, 30 years ago, whatever, because they're at higher levels of fitness and things. So with Pogba, I think it's just time. In my opinion, he should be given the week. Hard training, you know what I mean. I'm, you push him to his limits mm-hmm. because for him, like, he is a, an incredible athlete. Like there, there's no denying that um, he's mad into his martial arts and all these things as well. So he keeps himself very fit, regardless. He's got his own football, like in, indoor pitch in his house. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. So Wouldn't he's always all? playing. Oh, well, that'd be amazing. <laughs> um, but like, uh, so in my opinion, he misses this game uh, against Brighton, and I think he's ready then for the weekend. That's that's how it should be for me. That in my opinion. Um, Obviously, the hopefully our, our fitness coaches have know a lot better than I do, and the decision they make, you know, makes makes sense long term. Um, but either way, um, we have to make a decision about like you've got a guy who's fully fit in, in Donny Van de Beek. Um, again, him coming on in the eighty third minute seemed, or maybe it's the eighty fourth minute, seemed really late in the day to bring mm-hmm. him on. Um, but like we saw the difference. Fred made to the midfield, for example, and then when he came on, he he won the uh, the free kick for us. Um, mm-hmm. So it'll be oh sorry the the corner kick first that, that led to the final the final penalty. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. I yeah. imagine he starts the league cup regardless. Um, but I, I do wonder um, if we're making a mistake by not using the guy who's fully fit. <laughs> yeah, it just is an amusing aside since we're t- uh, talking about players' fitness. How, how many times would you wrestle a year? 100, 150? Um, so I, I generally would work four or five times a week. Mm-hmm. So that's. 50 so up, upwards of 200 to 250 wow. times so it's- and then when when our schedules changed um we started working one less house show so that changed to uh, about 150 yeah so mm-hmm. so uh, in and around 150 depending on how many you know tv shows you do a year um Sorry, what was your question? <laughs> no, that was it. It was just an interesting little thing. Just, uh, just, uh, since we're talking about players' fitness and everything, just give everybody a little insight in, into your life. So yeah. I, I know it was a little bit. So, bus- well, I, I can tell you though, one of the, the major issues for us was when the house shows went out the window. Um, your house, then- house shows are non televised <laughs> events for people who don't yeah, know. Yes, sorry. <laughs> Um, because so with the coronavirus there's been no non-televised events so the only time you're wrestling is then a television so we, if you're only wrestling once a week or when we start recording and we do maybe two weeks or, or four weeks sorry one of the t- times during this window of coronavirus we recorded four shows in one day or two days i think it was so then there's no a full month of no wrestling so you're you're asking so much of your body and um, when you're wrestling all the time you'd be amazed how you can take all these falls and all this abuse, but it's actually better for you than to go a long period and then only fall twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's like binge drinking. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that, you know, that, that's the best way to describe it because, you know, the damage you probably do to your body binge drinking, as opposed to say you'd one glass of wine every day would probably be massively different. Um, so th- this is what I found happened with my body was um, I hadn't wrestled for something like two or three months as the, there was, this whole transition with with coronavirus and everything else um and i i did a move that that, that i instigated and my body went into shock um and th- this is this hasn't happened uh it, i've been wrestling for 16 years or you know what i mean so like that's the longest i've been without 
without wrestling. Um, and, you know, the body was just like, hey, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, thankfully, the restrictions have changed and I'm able to do a lot more in-ring training and whatever else. But, like, the, there was a period where, you know, my, my body was in agony. And the craziest part for me was I was probably at my fittest outside of the ring mm-hmm. than I'd been in years, you know, because um, – during the, the lockdown, I bought a, an assault bike and uh, and a rowing machine. So you know, we've been doing a lot of things, a lot of challenges, just to keep ourselves active and physically fit. So you know, you're actually you're you're fit in that kind of way. But first fall completely blew me, mm-hmm. um, and it was so funny. I was watching uh, some of the guys, uh, and they're all coming back in agony. Um, <laughs> and these are guys who I, I've seen do an hour long matches uh, and come back you know as if nothing had happened and then I'm seeing guys do a five minute match and they're they're immediately seeing the trainer and stuff like that and it's just because you know your body it's almost like your body is completely uh, falling over is now completely alien to us mm-hmm. so I imagine there must be must be an element of that to, to footballers where you know if they're not playing for, for a month or two months it must be so hard to get that elite level fitness back immediate mm-hmm. you know what i mean um we saw it with rashford rashford looked like a shell of himself um in with project restart the occasional game he played well but he looked very poor in other games and like he was you know hands were on his on his on his legs leaning over after 30 minutes yeah. like, wow <laughs> um this is this is a kid who you know we never saw have any problems yeah. you know um, so you, you you imagine like for him it must have been really difficult to get to those levels. So that's why I, I I ask all these questions of the likes of Pogba, for example, because you know you've added in coronavirus and we know so little about it. So fingers crossed for him that he can he can find his fitness again because in my opinion he's probably our best player when mm. he's when he's going. Uh, at his best because he can defend he can attack and he, he finds passes that nobody else finds you know yeah. um, and with the introduction of Bruno there's a, there's this sudden weight off his shoulders um, to be the number one performer so he started playing really well <laughs> well it is really interesting we're, that we're now going back to Brighton on Wednesday in the League Cup as you mentioned uh, so there's uh, there, there's a real chance to sort of put things right in terms of performance. And in that regard, you might say, Oh, let's stick out the first team and, you know, before we play Spurs on, on Sunday. Uh, but then you think about our reserves and it's like the reserves haven't played at all. These guys really need fitness and we're going to need them coming forward. You know, there's, there will be inevitable injuries, uh, and suspensions and all kinds of other things where we'll need the reserves. So they got to play too, but I guess we'll expect pretty much what happened in the last cup game. Well, the under-23s are playing again regularly now, so I'll be really pissed off if our reserves aren't occasionally playing for their fitness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something we rarely do, actually, um, is, is put our reserve guys down into the under-23s. But I think we, I really think we should just have one, just one per game or something like that. I know why they do it. It's because they're, they're trying not to affect the, the development of the lads down mm-hmm. there. Um, but this is this is more important. The first team is more important. I hate to say it. Um but if you want a guy like Andres Pereira to be able to step in and play a game for you, but he hasn't played in months, right? You know, how is he ever going to be close to no. the level that's required? We saw that with Dan James after Project Restart; he barely played, and then when people got injured and he had to play, he was awful. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes, like, and I wonder, like, you know, players get sold for very easy, you know, very little reasons these days. You know, it's just for the way it is as a business. Um, but it must be very hard to judge on on a player's uh, performance and efficiency if he's not playing. Well, I, I could certainly see the reserves uh, or a, such a second a second eleven with those 
types of players like Fred, etc., McTominay getting well, a game. I think Bay has to play. Yes, um, no, ma- no matter what, because in my opinion, Bay should have played against Brighton. Um, like he looked great against Luton. It's only Luton, I know all that, but didn't put a foot wrong. Was was top in all the defensive charts, and the yeah. truth is. He's probably our best defender when fully fit, but the problem is, how often is he fully fit? Mm-hmm. Never. So you, if we got one good season out of by, I think he would end up looking like one of the best defenders in the league. Mm-hmm. But are, is it ever going to happen? I don't know. And, yeah. and I know that they can't really rely on him. Um, but then, then that begs the question is, why is he still here? Yeah. You know, and, and there's all these crazy um, questions. You know, We really struggle to sell players. I know that there's a lot of links right now that guys are potentially going out. But ten, you know, but we can come back to that after after a break. Um, but you know, right now the way I see it for this game against Brighton, we need to get a bit of rotation going, and we need to right a lot of wrongs. Yeah, well, we might as well do that then. Let's take a little break now, and when we come back, we'll start talking about some transfers, some ins, some outs, including Jaden Sancho. Back in a second. Hi and welcome back to Wrestling with Relegation. So we obviously covered the uh, <laughs> fun game against Brighton, but we're just going to talk a little bit about uh, ins and outs as we get really close to the transfer deadline day, and then we'll have a little look ahead to the games at the weekend. So obviously we've heard ins and outs um, quite a lot. The media are using us as the ultimate clickbait FC over this last few months, but the Jaden Sancho thing has reared its ugly head again. It had looked like we were not having anything to do with them. And then a lot of the BBC-related uh, journalists have said, United are going to test the resolve one last time. Now, Sky Sports put something out this morning saying that all the news coming out of Dortmund is, we missed the August 10th deadline. It's not going to happen. Um, whereas <laughs> the, the journalists at home here are saying, no, we are, we're going to give it a try. Um, so I know Howard Nurse, who's one of the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the BBC journalists who generally doesn't say anything unless he knows something, has said that he thinks that we're going to test the resolve for, for definite. So listen, I'm not going to waste a lot of time here. We need to get him. Um, I understand why they've talked over the the last few months about money and impact and all these things, but I'm sure that there's some way to structure this deal that suits them over the next four years or whatever it is that can benefit both parties. Um, We have record-breaking income and all these things uh, all the years leading up to the coronavirus year, so I'd imagine there must be some level uh, that this team can do the job. However, away from Jaden Sancho, there is a bit of talk that Tellis, the Alex Tellis, who plays left back at Porto, in his fi- final year of his deal, uh, he is pushing really hard with his agent to come here. Um, Fabrizio Romano has said that there's an agreement now between the player and the club, and now it's just a case of agreeing something with Porto. They say Porto have uh, said no or rejected our first offer, which is something around 15 million euros, but I imagine. They can't, they can't go too high uh, for a guy in his final year of his contract. And if he's pushing to leave, um, he's a very good left back. There's a lot of goals and assists from his position. Um, he's 27. He's out of, you know, that, that age where he probably wants to make a big move. Mm-hmm. So, per, you know, competition for, for Shaw, who always has injury issues, which go, is gotten for both of us because we love him. We mm-hmm. want him to, to do well. Um, but competition is required. We talked about Brandon Williams. Um, maybe isn't at that consistency. He, if he was playing week in, week out, I think we would find 
what we need from Brandon Williams, but to be coming in and out is very difficult to find that consistency. So um, it's going to be awkward to see what, what happens for him going forward. But the truth is we do need um, somebody who can compete with Shaw right now or potentially replace him. Yeah. Um, and Tellus has that ability. There was, um, uh, I read a, a story this morning on The Athletic with uh, uh, Rafael Da Silva, of course, our old right back. And oh. uh, he was uh, actually a great story if you get a chance to read it. And uh, he was saying that we he he knows Tellez and we really should try and get him. He's an excellent player and he would improve the team. So that's something there. I should have jumped in as well when we were talking about Sancho. I, I just missed my spot there. So um, uh, a few different things sort of come up. Of course, there's been all this talk. Man United don't want to pay the 120 million euros. That's kind of understandable. Um, there's been a piece again in The Athletic and Andy Mitten has written about it as well, where he says that there's really no chance that United can even afford to pay that much. But also at the same sort of time, this last day or two, uh, the Swiss Ramble, who do a lot of uh, good work on football finances, have, are saying how much Dortmund themselves have lost due to the impact of coronavirus. So this is probably where all the stories are converging and you're just sort of getting more rumours than the BBC guys talking about uh, United might go back in with a £90 million pound offer. Um, by the way, €120 million Euros, uh, translates to £107 million pounds if, we're, if, uh, if you hear that come up. So it still appears to be, well, it certainly is, certainly quite some distance away. If this deal is to be done, there's still quite a lot of bit of work to do there. There's a seventeen million pound difference in uh, in sort of the estimations from what's coming out there. And listen, I, I don't want to dedicate too much time to it because you know I criticised the Glazers in the last episode. Um, but out of all seriousness, if they can't get this deal done, then why are we? Why is it being talked about at all? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the you PR has gone wrong here somewhere as well. One hundred percent across the board, because I think they expect the Dortmund to fold. Dortmund have no need to fold. They've got the player for three years still in a deal, um, and they're thinking, well, next year we can get the same. However, you know, Swiss Ramble and everything else can come out and say, well, there's no guarantee that we, anybody gets back in uh, this year. Germany are, are uh, testing out a ten to twenty percent capacity stadiums, um, but I don't know, you know, financially how that's going to be for anybody. Is that going to be a massive benefit, um, or is it just going to be a minor benefit, uh, or will it get shut down again? I know that in the UK the the cases of coronavirus have risen, um, so we're definitely not going to be bringing anybody in before uh, the end of the year. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, that's four million a year. So what will that be? Or sorry, four million a game. What will that be for the German clubs? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Dortmund, Dortmund beaten on the weekend, by the way. Not that it yeah. makes a difference to the transfer. No, Augsburg destroyed them, actually. It was a fun, it was a fun game. I, I managed to watch it myself. Um, you know, Dortmund had all the possession, but did, did nothing with it. Uh, it felt like watching Man United play. <laughs> He'd be right at home then. Come on, Jaden. Yeah, come on, Jaden. Come and join us and, and do exactly what you do there. <laughs> uh, but no, outside, outside of the those two ends, there seems to be a bit of news about outs. We read a report that Smalling and Rojo are now training separately away from the team. Um, Smalling, obviously the links to Roma have been massive. The, the manager of Roma has come out multiple times that he wants Smalling here. There's only a five million if, um, difference in price between what we want and what they want to pay us. So I imagine that that gap will get bridged. There was a little, and I know as much as that that, that guts you, Brian, um, because especially you know we talked about this yesterday. There's talk that Skriniar might leave Enter for fifty or sixty million euros. Uh, so buying a team of the season, Smalling for less than 20 million euros seems insane criminal um, but but that's the position we're in 
I, I'm actually amazed more people aren't in for Smalling at home. Like I thought more more of the British teams would go for him, especially London-based clubs um, who need defenders. You know, uh, I'm so I'm surprised that nobody said, "Well, hey, why, why don't we buy him?" The, the difference, the difference that guy would make to Chelsea. The difference he would make to Arsenal, the difference he would make um, to 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 Palace. You know, there's so many teams who he would he would be. The difference he would make for us. I know. You know, I know. I, I'm annoyed that that you know we're letting this guy go for for so little because I think he's so good. You know, mm-hmm. um, have I had days where I've hated Smalling? Absolutely. But you know, when he was Mike Smalling playing for <laughs> Van, Van Hal, he was he was the best defender in the league. So, you know, what has changed? You know. Obviously, our style of play has changed where we want the boys to, to develop the ball out of the back. But if you can tell me one instance in the last three games where we have done something out of the back that has has been brilliant, mm-hmm. um, then then awesome. Then our, our obviously our decision is to play that way has worked because all I've seen is you know sideways passing that Chris Smalling can definitely do. Yeah. I'll tell you what's changed, by the way, our attitude towards him. Because he's another victim to like Andrew Herrera of guys who've been bounced around between managers, didn't know what their place was, weren't always respected by managers coming in. And this is where we're left with a player who goes away for a season, is the top player in, in, in a top league. And, uh, now he frankly doesn't want to play for us. He'd rather play elsewhere. I don't blame him. Um, listen, if you, if you hear him talk, maybe he's too meek for certain managers. I don't know, but when he plays, he doesn't play meek. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that, that's that's why I, I just don't get what the what the decision process is here. Um, but you know, you take the wins with the losses, I guess. But um, so it looks like he's on his way. Another one going to Italy looks like uh, Andres Pereira has an offer from Lazio. Now there'd been all this talk about Valencia and potentially Benfica um, had been kind of circling. But it looks like Lazio, with a an op, a loan to buy option of up to twenty seven million euros, which is a, a lot higher than I expected. Um, but you know, again, a loan with an option to buy. Yeah, they'll never take that option. It should be mandatory um, uh, if, if he plays X amount of games or whatever yeah. else. But yeah, uh, but potentially it looks like he's on the way out. Good for him. I think he's a good player. He just doesn't have a solidified position for us. I don't know where he fits in our style of play. He's too slow to be a, a wide player. Um, and he, he dwells on the ball too long to play the way we need to play on the inside. I think he could look great anywhere else. He looked decent when he when he played in Spain. Um, so, you know, good for Andreas. His main problem is he doesn't want to leave. So, um, you know, good, you know, it's hard to criticize a guy who doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to leave. So, um, we'll see what happens there, but it looks like that might happen and it might happen this week. So that, that's the current, uh, ins and outs of what we've heard. Um, can I just say as well, players who are leaving or, uh, have any possibility of leaving whatsoever, we absolutely must have an iron in the fire ready to either replace them or improve the squad. Don't be stuck like uh, last time with Sanchez and Lukaku with money in your pocket and there's no player that you have time to go and negotiate and bring into the club. Absolutely. Listen, I, I read that Leeds came in to try and take Dan James on loan. Um, and I was, as I was saying earlier, like you know, he is an option for us no matter what. That we don't always give game time to. So, but if you let him go, who replaces him? You know, Chong is out on loan in Bremen. So there's no obvious under 23 who can step into that, that wing role. Um, 
so why would you let him go? So the, the, there's some weird rumors going around. Listen, I know it's United and it's transfer window, so it's easy to use us for, for everything. Um, but you'd imagine if you are going to let Dan James go, there there must be somebody in the back burner who's coming in. If Sancho comes in, okay, yeah, you understand why you would let him go out. Um but even then, you're still thinking, well, what about depth? Like, we, we didn't have a winger or a striker on the bench against Brighton. So we had no options. Um, and, like, a lot of players had underperformed. So you're thinking, okay, uh, what the hell do we do next? We've got no depth. Hmm. Try and sign Josh King. I mean, that is, I think that'll happen. He's in the final year of his contract. I know that Bournemouth have put a massive price tag on him. Um, and that's why he hasn't gone anywhere yet. Uh, we've we've definitely sniffed around there. I know Spurs have sniffed around there, so it'll be interesting what happens come January um, when he's six months away from his deal end. And Bournemouth made a bad decision uh, and lost. Is it was it not not Brooks? Sorry, uh, Fred, Ryan Fraser. Mm-hmm. It looks like they're going to do it again with, with Josh King pricing out their their player. Um, they got great money for for Nathan Ake, um, and I think they they must just assume that they get good money for Josh King. Twenty eight coming twenty nine. Um, in the final year of his deal, they should be lucky to get 10 million, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, and I should say, Spurs, Spurs didn't get 20 for, for Ericsson. Yeah. Previously one of the best performers in the league, you know, I, I wasn't, um, by the way, I wasn't denigrating Josh King's talent there. I, I would actually quite like to have him back at the club under the right deal. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. But it's just the fact I don't want to be hanging around on deadline day, you know, with the guy waiting in the car park, hoping he can come in and sign for us. You know, it's, that's not how we, how we want to do business. No, but listen, Bournemouth had to be realistic with this. Like, and I, I, I definitely agree that you know the lower level clubs have every right to, to put a price on a player, but it's very difficult when somebody's in, in their final year. I know that's um, one of the problems we're having with Lingard right now. Um, he's being shopped around, but we have a thirty million price tag on him, um, and nobody really wants to pay that because he's in his final year. Um, like, whereas we're happy to keep him and, and re-sign him, but we're not wanting to put him on on more on bigger wages, you know. So it's going to be very interesting what happens with Lingard because he's now got a terrible agent. So um, I'm looking forward to to seeing what happens there between us and Mino Raiola again. But um, we isn't will it, see. Isn't with- it, isn't it interesting? There's just no talk about Phil Jones at all. I don't mean from our side. It's like. You know, the, the guy's injured. He cannot play at the minute. We don't know when he could even have a, a hope of coming back. But there's no talk that he, you know, might might uh, be paid off from the club, or that somebody else might take him on a low level transfer or anything like that. It's just radio silence. Very bizarre. But listen, he, his injury list is insane. It, it, like he's had a crazy. He's had the worst luck out of anybody. He had a blood disease. He had um, chronic shin splints. He had hamstring issues, knee issues, ankle issues, hip issues. Like everything you can think of has happened to him. Um, like the, but the blood disease was the, the weirdest one because that meant he literally couldn't create white blood cells or something. It was something really insane. Or no, sorry, it was a blood clotting disease. So it meant he couldn't heal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like he has just had which is serious, crazy loss. Oh, awful. And like you know, I, I have every, I have every sympathy for Phil Jones. The hardest part is knowing that he's not good enough um, anymore. Whereas at one point, I thought he was our best defender, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it just sucks. But it's come to this. Uh, but it is, I agree with you, it's weird that somebody hasn't said, okay, Phil, we want to take you to West Ham or we want to take you to wherever. Um, or Leeds, you know, aren't aren't going, well, let's bring, you know, 
let's bring Phil Jones in, you know. But that's the sad situation that he's in. Um, he maybe has no offers from anywhere. Um, but I listen, I if anybody would benefit from going to a hot country, it would probably be Phil Jones, you know. Uh, be good for his his uh, recovery. Be good for his his body, you know, to be training in hot weather all the time. So um, I hope that, you know, something good happens for him. But on our part, it was mental that we gave him a new deal uh, last year. We gave him a four-year deal, uh, increased his wages, when he'd only played two games that season. So mm-hmm. it was uh, we, we've made a lot of crazy decisions. If that's a loyalty thing, then I can't I can't knock it, you know, because listen, he's, he's we've been we've been loyal enough. We have been loyal loyal we enough. Have to been very Jones. loyal. We've been very loyal uh, to him. Uh, I agree with that. Um, one thing I was thinking is maybe he's putting his hours in and he's going to become the new club physiotherapist. So <laughs> we, we, we shall see. Um, but no, let's, let's hope the, the best for Phil. Uh, Cause I think he would be good for any team. Um, I always, th- I always felt if he'd have went to another club a couple of years ago, I actually think he'd have probably been playing for England and stuff like that because the pressure would be off. Um, you know, I think that he became the unfair target for a lot of criticism because he does, you know, make those silly like dives to, to save the ball. And then, you know, people take it in slow motion. They look at his facial reactions, whatever else. But, you know, you tell me how many errors Phil Jones has really had. Yes, there was something like five own goals over the course of his, his nine-year Man United career. Um, but at the same time, you're thinking the amount of, t- amount of times he put his body in position to stop mm-hmm. things from happening. Yeah. You know, there, there's a passion there that probably got him hurt more often than not. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, fingers crossed for Phil. Listen, I, I get it. He his time at the club has probably passed, um, but I think he could be an asset somewhere else. And I hope that he gets the opportunity to play before he has to retire. You know, I think I think my thing is that we I, I strongly feel that we have had to have made that decision by now. Now, if if somehow we feel that he can still contribute to the club, I find that hard to see. But okay, then right, then let's. Make sure that his recovery is managed as best as it can be. If not, if we have decided that he cannot be relied upon for whatever reason, whether it's injury or performance or whatever, we'll have to send a signal that we're getting rid. This, and I know, I know for your contract and all the rest of it, but what we are left with now are players who are hanging around with, uh, in the knowledge that they can just hang around and take the rest of their money. Absolutely. It's a crazy one. Uh, and. I think we've made weird decisions with with a lot of our players, and I hope that we've learned we've learned lessons. But then, when you, you hear what uh, we ended up paying Dean Anderson to sit in the bench for us, it blew me away. It was over a hundred thousand a week. He's one of the highest paid goalkeepers in the world. I think I said last week. I just I I can't fathom. I, I mean, I believe you. I just can't fathom that we've done that. So if it is the case we were paying him that much money to sit in the bench then my head just shakes and I just don't know. Uh, we're just not being smart about how we deal with these contracts and how we incentivize players. If his, if, if his contract, you know, is at 50 grand a week and it's incentivized to be over a hundred, if he performs well and keeps clean sheets, no problem. Fine. But a guy sitting around getting paid a hundred grand a week, um, even though he's a good player, even though he wants to be there, even though he's in a kind of an important part of the, of the club. I still don't want a player being paid that much money for for that, especially at this point in his career. Well, let me blow your mind further. Sergio Romero is now the third choice goalkeeper, and he's on eighty thousand. Uh, is Sergio going to make it to the end of the transfer window? That is a good question. Now, there have been uh, there has been word that Aston Villa were really 
interested before they signed uh, Martinez from Arsenal. There's talk that Everton might be willing to bring him in um, as the number two to Pickford. Mm -hmm. But with Pickford's in and out form, you could see Ancelotti might be the the person to finally drop him. Mm -hmm. Um, Ancelotti's ruthless, you know, and and in that regard... He is the godfather. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's an unbelievable manager and he's doing something wonderful at Everton, actually. Um, I think Everton aren't really getting the praise they should be the, from pundits and, and from uh, journalists. It's actually really weird because they are playing really good football right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you, you, you kept talking about Alan earlier, um, you know, James Rodriguez looks unbelievable. Um, yeah. he, he looks like uh, he hasn't spent you know, a, a terrible five years to Real Madrid at all. Um, I think he was underappreciated there as well. But what we have seen is that he uh, he hasn't uh, lost any touch. Uh, you know, he can get on the ball and play. He's such a classy player. And uh, um, he, he does have that sort of final pass in him. And he will draw players towards him to, to where he can release the ball to somebody in space. And these things are invaluable. It'll be interesting what happens because he's going to want to play in the, the Copa America um, at the end of the season. So, you know, he needs to be playing. And if he's not playing any games for us uh, because Dean's then, then I don't know what happens. Other than that, um, it looks like there, there could be one or two others who are, are being sniffed at. But, you know, the the, the links aren't particularly strong. Yeah. Um, but like that, that's a lot of a Those lot of the time. names. What? Yeah. We'll see what happens. A, like, uh, obviously, if we were to get Sancho, everyone will be over the moon. Uh, I, the Tellez deal seems to be much closer than that one um, and a little bit more realistic. But if we could uh, get a couple of those players off the books who we know are not going to contribute or we don't wish them to contribute any further, we've got uh, plans for other players, then it's not, of course, it's not as good business as getting sort of almost star international players in, but that would really go a long way to, to show that we're trying to get back on track. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the squad is far um, too big and bloated as it is. Uh, the worst part and the is, wage bill. Well, that, that's it. We have, we have the second biggest wage bill in the world, mm-hmm. um, which is mind-blowing because yeah. we don't play like the second best team in the world. No, unacceptable. Okay, that seems like a good place to wrap it up. Dan, would you want to uh, give us some plugs there before we go? If you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Killian Dane. You can catch me on the WWE Network uh, and BT Sport back home uh, for WWE NXT or in the States. You can catch me every Wednesday night, 8 p.m. on the USA Network. Okay. Well, we'll be back uh, after the Spurs game. If not before, there's a chance we'll get here before the or after the League Cup game as well. But uh, in the meantime, make sure to look after yourselves and those around you. <laughs>